Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Bright Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Bright. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been doing a series called All Tied Up. And the series is all about God, about church, and about religion. And the thing that we've tried to explain over the last couple of weeks is really that there are many Christians that really don't want to be associated with religion anymore. We don't mind being associated with, we love being associated with God and, and, and church, but not so much religion. And it's because the meaning of religion has come to mean different things to different people. And maybe some of those things we don't really want to be associated with. And so we have a goal in this series, and we're in the last week of it today. But the goal for the series is to get religion out of the church and out of your faith. And if that sounds weird to you, I totally understand. But I want to share a message with you today called, I'll believe it when I see it. And one of the reasons that we want to get religion out of church and, and out of people's faith is because religion has really become synonymous with this systematic works-based approach to God, which can often just represent behavior on the outside. It's often just about ritual, but really our connection with God is all meant to be about our hearts. And I think that most Christian people that are genuinely following Jesus, they want to be known for their connection with God and, and, and you know, following Jesus and not just the rituals that we do. So maybe I'll just talk about church for a minute. I mean, what does the church even do? What is the church you know, doing when we're not doing all the ritual stuff? Well, the truth is, is that the church does a lot of things. You know, we, we do marriage counseling and we connect with people and we help people through difficult times. And there's the social justice side of church and, and there's the, the, the communication of the gospel. It's not all just about the ritual. But maybe before we talk about even what the church does, right, maybe we should talk about what the church is. Over the last couple of weeks, hopefully the thing that you've come to understand is that the church is actually just Jesus's group of people. In fact, if you look in the scriptures in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13, Jesus has this conversation with Peter where he refer, refers to the church as his ecclesia. And the word ecclesia, as you now have probably come to understand, is that it's not just, you know, it's not just his church, which is the same word that is translated in your Bible as church, but it was just a word that meant a group or an assembled group of people that have gathered together for a very specific purpose. So when we talk about the church, what is the church? Well, the church is kind of a funny thing to explain because in one sense, the church is invisible. It's very hard to see the church. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you know where the church building is, right? But hopefully what you've come to realize is that the church is not a building. The church is Jesus's people. It's His assembled and, and gathered people. So let's say, for example, that we were able to go to the shopping centre. You remember what that was like, right? You know, before ISO. So I'm just talking to Melbourne people, right? So, so if we could go to the shops today and we looked and there was a crowd full of people and you said, hey, where is the church? Honestly, I couldn't tell you. And the reason I couldn't tell you is it's very hard to see at a distance, right, who's actually connected to Jesus's group of people. We don't really know. It's, it, it's invisible because what that connection, you know, what forms that connection is really the heart that people have for God. It's how they worship Him. So in, in a crowd full of people, we, we just honestly couldn't see who has a heart for God and, and who doesn't have a heart for God. So we, we don't always know. So in one sense, the church is invisible. 
But in another sense, the church is visible. So if you were to come to church on a Sunday morning when we used to be able to gather together, you know, you would walk, walk, walk in and, and you'd see all these people sort of sitting down. And I guess you could have a pretty good, you know, stab at it and say, look around and see all the people and say, well, I guess a lot of these people are the church. And you'd probably be right a lot of the time. But you know what? This is something you need to understand. The church is exclusively made up of Jesus's group. It's His people, the ones that have a heart for Him. But a church service is actually a public meeting and anybody's welcome to come to it. So if you've never been to church before, you could just come, sit in on a meeting and, and, and just watch and participate, right? So, so if we were to look out at church on a Sunday, yeah, I guess a lot of them are followers of Jesus, but hopefully there are some people that are sitting there amongst all the followers that are trying to figure out what all of this is about. So yeah, the church is kind of visible and it's kind of invisible. And sometimes we don't always know who's part of His church. But this is what Jesus said. Jesus said that His people, they are not just believers, right? So if we think about what Jesus's church is, they're not just believers. Now, it may come to shock you, but I'll tell you something right now that is important to know. The devil believes in Jesus. Okay, so the devil is a believer, but he's just not a follower. So being a believer doesn't actually necessarily make you part of the church if there's no connection, no connection to God, no relationship with God. You know, you're not just, you know, have a relationship with God because you believe that God is real. You have a relationship with God because you're a follower of His, okay? So, so Jesus's people, His group, His ecclesia are actually people that are followers of God. And collectively, when we gather together, whether visible or invisible, the Scriptures say that that group of people form the body, all right, so we form the body of Christ or the body, you know, is refers to Jesus's church. And you can read this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 to 23. It says, And He, being God, put all things, that just means all things, God put all things under Jesus's feet and gave Him His head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him, who fills all in all. In other words, Jesus is the head of the church and all the people that follow Him, we are the body of the church. So He has a head and, and we follow Him and, and He tells us what to do and where to go and we're just the body. And so sometimes, you know, people want to say, well, where is God on the earth? Well, sometimes what God does is He works through His body, right? So the church is really quite often the arms and the feet of Jesus. We are trying to outwork a lot of the things that the head is telling us to do. And the church looks different in different places and in different ways. And some look like one thing and some another, right? But it's all part of the, the body of Christ. And so it doesn't just say that the church is uh, Jesus's body. It also refers to the church as Jesus's bride, okay? So the church is Jesus's bride. And, and, and listen to this, the, the, the bride of Jesus, right? This, this idea of Him being connected in such a way, like married to the church, it's actually an Old Testament idea. In fact, quite often, if you read through the Old Testament, it refers to it as uh, God being the husband of His wife, Israel. 
And the whole metaphor is meant to communicate this very close and very intimate relationship that God has with His church. And they just continue that metaphor in the New Testament. And so in the New Testament, it says the exact same thing that Jesus has a bride, okay? And that's His church. Now, you know, I, I mean, today, a lot of people don't understand maybe necessarily how much Jesus really loves his church. And so I find that today there's a lot of people that want to be spiritual and spiritually they don't mind being associated with Jesus, but they don't necessarily always want to be associated with his church. And I just want to explain what that would feel like to Jesus for just a moment. So let's just say this. Imagine that you, you have a friend, right? And let's say it's a guy friend and your friend has just got married. And you call up your friend and you say, hey, I was wondering if you want to hang out and spend some time together. And, and your friend says, I would love to do that. Let's hang out together. And then you say, yeah, 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 that would be really cool. But uh, hey, could you just not bring your wife? Like just leave her at home. Uh, and they would say, what are you talking about? You, you, don't want, you don't want me to bring my wife? It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, look, don't bring your wife because to be honest, she's kind of ugly. And, and we just really, I don't really like her anyway. So, so I, I want to spend time with you, but I just don't want to spend any time with your wife, right? No one would ever say that to a friend. And if you've ever said that to a friend, you're not friends anymore, okay? Because no one would say that. It's honestly, it's so offensive. So when people say, oh, I, I love Jesus, but I hate his wife, right? It's, it's, it's a horrible thing to say, but I, don't get me wrong. Like, I, I kind of get why people say this. I, I understand. And the reason I think why people say this is because we know that people haven't always represented God well. His people haven't always represented Him well. They didn't always represent Him well in the Old Testament. They didn't always represent Him well in the New Testament. And even today, and I don't feel like I would even need to necessarily communicate this to you, but I feel like today we would be so aware that the church does not always communicate who God is very well to people. We don't always represent Him well. And so Jesus, I think this matters to Jesus. In fact, there's this moment in the scriptures where Jesus is talking to the scribes and the Pharisees, which were the religious leaders in Jesus's day. And talking to them, He says, you scribes and you Pharisees, He says, you are hypocrites. And He says it for a very specific reason. In other words, He's saying, you know what? You say one thing and you do another. You act one way on the outside, but inwardly, you're another person. You pretend to be devoted, but you don't really care. You are hypocrites. And I'll tell you right now, Jesus hates hypocrites because they reflect so badly on God when people are meant to be representing Him. Don't believe me? Listen, it just continues. The Apostle Paul said to the New Testament church, he says, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Now, Gentiles is just, was just everyone that was not Jewish. And, and, and Paul is saying to them, you know what? People see the way that you behave. And because you're the church and you're meant to represent God, when they see the way that you act and the way that you behave, right, it reflects terribly on God. And, and here's the saddest part about it all. People don't want to know God and it's got nothing to do with Him. God's amazing. He's great. He's awesome. But you just keep representing Him so bad that people don't want anything to do with Him. In fact, really what Paul was saying to the New Testament church, 
you are also hypocrites. You say one thing, but you act another. And it's really having a devastating impact on the church or all the people that God is wanting to reach and, and connect with and have relationship with. See, just because you have a bad relationship with one church, and I think this is very important, right? Because we understand that, yeah, occasionally you're going to come across people that are, maybe they're hypocritical, or maybe you, you haven't been in that had the greatest experience with like a church or a leader or something like that. So come on, we know that sometimes this happens. But even when it does happen, just because you've had a bad experience, that bad experience doesn't mean that you could then just go on and and just brand the entire thing. Like you, you can't just brand the entire church or that no one church would say, yes, it's us. We represent the entire church, the entire thing on planet earth. Come on, there's like a couple of billion Christians, you know, and some change on the earth. No one church would say we represent everything about the church. No one would say that. So if you've had a bad experience, right, you can't necessarily just, you know, say, well, the whole church is, is wrong or the whole church has burnt me. I mean, that's a phrase that I hear sometimes, you know, and I guess I understand it. But when someone says, I've been burnt by the church, I'm like, really? Like, which one? And, and how come they got to represent the entire bride, you know? It's not the whole church. It's normally just one group or maybe one leader even, you know? But, but it's certainly not the whole thing. And so if you've had a bad experience with church, like I totally get it, but it doesn't mean that the whole thing is wrong. And come on, let's not throw, throw the baby out with the bathwater. It's not the whole uh, body. It's not all of Jesus's followers. But what's amazing to me is how people will do this with the church, but not with anything else. Let me, let me give you an example. Let's say that you've had a job before and many of you will be able to identify with this and you worked for a boss and they were just a terrible boss. They, they were a bad boss. They, you had terrible culture at, at your workplace and you just hated it, right? So I don't know anyone that goes to work and has a bad boss or a bad work environment, no one walks away and says, you know what? That's it. I will never work again. Employment is not for me. And by the way, I think employment is just fake. It's phony. It's not real. And you, you, you shouldn't be part of a, a, a group that employs you either. No one should be employed. I'm never working again. Honestly, no one says that, right? Why do people do this with the church? You know, like you would just say, if someone had a bad work experience or a bad environment, wouldn't you just say, just, just quit and just find, a, just find a better place to work? And maybe that's sometimes what people have got to do. They've had a bad experience. Well, okay, well, I get it. Right. Well, let's not brand the whole thing. Like, just find a, a better place to worship, right? Just find a better place to connect. Just find maybe a, a leader or a pastor or that, that, you know, I mean, you, you've just got to keep, going and finding the right thing. And that makes sense to me. You know, the church, for all the things that we say about it, the truth is the church has done incredible work across time and history as we look back over the last 2,000 years. But if you look at the early church, man, they were amazing. Jesus' ecclesia was incredible. In fact, there were thousands and thousands of people that were converting to become Christians because of the generosity of, of Christian people, because of the hearts of the apostles, you know? And in fact, you might not know this, right? But back in Jesus' day, there were thousands of 
priests that were studying Judaism and they wanted to work their way up into the upper echelons of priesthood, you know, but, but down in the lower rungs of life, you know, a lot of them were poor and impoverished. They didn't have a lot of food. And, and so, you know, here they were and Jesus' ecclesia bursts onto the scene. And one of the things that they were really great at doing, they had incredible feeding programs, you know, there's a whole chapter about this in Acts chapter six. And so, yeah, they would preach the gospel, but also they would feed people. And so these Jewish priests, what they would do, or Jewish priests in training, right? They would go there to get some food. And then as they were eating the food, there would be the preaching of the gospel, which is just this incredible message that Jesus loves them and paid the penalty for their sins. And, and if they accept this relationship with Jesus, then their sins are forgiven. And, and, and so they would hear this incredible message called the gospel. And what happened is, is that thousands of priests and other people would be completely converted in that sense. They became followers of Jesus. They said, we actually believe this. We want to follow. And why was that? Because the church was so incredible at reaching out to people. Jesus' disciples, aka his followers, were very good at reaching out and helping people that were in need. Now, Jesus says, and if you're looking to find something like the real thing, far from hypocritical, this is what Jesus says. He said, if you want to know who my disciples are, I'll tell you what to look for. My disciples, you will know them by how they love one another by how they interact. And the reason that he says this is because love is genuine. Love is, is real. Love is a, is a motivation that comes from deep within your heart. Love is what makes it not hypocritical. Love is what makes it real. So he said it's because of their hearts and the way they treat each other. But one of the things that Jesus did not say is, you will know my disciples by how they repeat my rituals, by how they do all the same patterns of behavior over and over again. I can tell you, like, I've done a lot of weddings in my life. I've been able to marry a lot of people. And I'll tell you something, the ritual is there. It exists. But what makes it real is that that ritual is completely motivated by love. And that's what makes it beautiful. I mean, if you had two people that came together and, and they had to go through the ritual, but there was no love in that marriage, there was no love for one another, there was no love for God, and they're like, come on, we just got to get this thing done. Come on, say the words, finish up, you know, let's, let's just do it. Where do I sign, right? There would be something that would be so disingenuous about it. But it's the love as the motivator that makes that ritual actually mean something. It's the thing that makes that thing beautiful. So relationship with God is about heart and connection. It's not about ritual. And the thing about human beings, and this is one thing I've understood, is that human beings, they love ritual. We do. We create them so easily. Let me give you an example of this. Michael Jordan, the GOAT, the greatest of all time, right? Michael Jordan would for every game, even when he was playing for the Chicago Bulls, would wear his North Carolina shorts underneath his Chicago Bulls shorts because he thought that they would help him. It was a ritual. He had to wear it, had to have it for every game. Steve Waugh, same thing. You know, Australian cricketer. He had a red hanky that was given to him by his grandfather and he had it with him on every single game. He'd put it in his pocket and they have this stuff there and he would go through the process and the same process before every game, right? Why do they have all that stuff? Because they think it helps. 
And this is where people start to go really wrong. Now, get ready because I'm about to insult a whole heap of people. And I don't want to, but I just feel like it, we might as well talk about it. It's important to understand. Here's something that I don't really understand. I've never really understood infant baptism. And I'll tell you why. Because baptism is an outward expression of what has inwardly taken place in your heart. In fact, the word baptism comes from a Greek word, baptizo, which means to fully immerse and to plunge under. So when we baptize people at church, we put them completely underwater and then we bring them up out of the water. And when we do that, it's, it's all symbolic, right? So yeah, there's a little bit of ritual, but here's what they're identifying with. Jesus's death, his burial is when they go under the water, when we bring them back up, symbolic of Jesus's resurrection. So his death, his burial and his re resurrection. Now, when it comes to baptism, the reason anyone gets baptized is because it's a public confession of the faith that they have in Jesus. So there is a point in that believer's life where they say, I will follow after you. And as an outward expression to publicly declare it, I've decided that I'm going to get baptized. My issue is I just don't understand how an infant can do that. They have not made a decision to follow Jesus. And then I've read other things and they say, well, it's really meant to be more like baby dedication. Oh, well, let's talk about dedication. Because when a child is getting dedicated to God, let me tell you what's happening. It's normally the parents that are dedicating themselves because the child can't dedicate a thing. They're saying, hey, we are dedicating ourselves to you, God, in the way that we're going to raise this child. And we dedicate this child to you. We understand and, and, and believe that, God, you've given us this beautiful child as a gift. And, and symbolically, we kind of give him back to you and say, come and move in his life and, and do things in his future. And we're going to raise him in the right way. I mean, that's what baby dedication is about. So this is the thing. When it comes to baptism or, or baby dedications, right, there are some rituals there, but there's very real meanings attached. And just going through the process, honestly, it just doesn't help anyone. Now, I don't want to discourage anyone from actually doing that, okay? So if that's something that you love to do, great. You know, it could be that you're sitting in a service and you have a genuine encounter with God and you suddenly realize that it's not just ritual, but that God is real. And I would love for you to have that encounter and that experience. But people do this stuff all the time. Like for example, I know that some churches will make a really big deal out of somebody's first communion. And I think that in some way, that's beautiful. It really is, and I genuinely mean it, right? So they have a first communion. But can I tell you like how, how my son had his first communion? We were in church and someone was giving the uh, communion message and I was explaining to him what communion is really all about. And if you understand anything about communion, it's that the bread that we eat represents Jesus's body that was broken for us. And when we drink that little bit of juice, it represents his blood that was shed on the cross for sins. And so we, we take communion to remember what Jesus did for us. So I'm explaining this to my son. And I said, do you believe this? And he said, oh, I believe it. I said, well, would you like to take communion with us today? He said, yes. So we just did it. There was no fanfare. There was no nothing, like we just did it. It was this beautiful moment. I gave him a hug and, and we just went through the process. I mean, I, I do think the first communion is beautiful, but you know what's really nice? The second one and the third one 
and the fourth one and the fifth one. And it's not just the one that you had at church, but it's the one that you had at home. Did you know that you don't have to go to church to have communion? Do you know that you could sit around with your family and break bread and drink the juice and you can have this moment of communion in your own house? I mean, really, it's the lifestyle that's connected to that first communion that I'm really interested in. And more than that, it's not just the lifestyle, but it's what it means because you could repeat something in your life and it still means nothing. So it's the hard connection to that ritual. I just think that this whole thing that I'm talking about today, this isn't new. In fact, this has been happening for a long time. Listen to Isaiah 29, 13. It says, And the Lord said, Because these people draw near to me with their mouth and honour me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me. And their fear of me is a commandment that's taught by men. So when the Bible says that we have a fear of God, it means that we approach Him with this holy awe and reverence for who He is. And He says, that whole approach that you've got, it's just a commandment that's taught by men. They're just acting it out. They're saying all the right phrases. They're going through the right processes, right? But honestly, even though their lips are moving, their heart is so far. They don't care. They don't have a, a genuine connection with me. Their hearts are, are far from me. They're just following the things that their parents told them to do. They're just trying to make grandma happy. They're just trying to make their mom and dad happy. Yeah, come on, let's go through the process again. And I'm telling you, God does not enjoy that experience at all. It's not just Israel in the Old Testament. Listen to Colossians chapter 2, 21 to 23. Paul the Apostle writing says, Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used. He says this, According to human precepts and teachings, these have indeed the appearance of wisdom. They appear like their wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. When he talks about severity to the body, he's talking about fasting and like extreme spiritual disciplines. But listen to how he finishes. He says, But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. In other words, you are going through all these extreme spiritual things, even fasting. My gosh, a lot of Christians don't even fast. But he's saying to these people, hey, you, you know, the things that you're doing, they have the appearance of wisdom. And, and, and really, but what's happening is this is self-made religion. You're going through these rituals and these processes, right? But there's no real, real connection there. And they're not actually helping you. And, and I think that this is where people go wrong sometimes. Now, understand this. There is nothing wrong with ritual. Ritual is not the problem. Okay, God instituted Rituals. In fact, you might not be aware of this, but in the Jewish calendar, in the, in the calendar in the Hebrews, there was 10 festivals and feasts that were rituals. And that is just a straight up genius move by God. I'll tell you why. Because with a culture that's illiterate, they're not all able to read and write. How do you pass something from one generation to the next so that they can connect these stories and they never forget the stories and they understand what God has done? 
ritual, feast, connected to food. Oh, people will love to eat, right? So let's, let's make a, a ritual out of this, right? But let's remember the point of the ritual. Let's remember why we have the feast. Let's remember why we have the festival. And if you're able to connect all the rituals to the heart of the matter, then that ritual can be something that's actually very beautiful. Here's the problem. Repeated rituals with no heart because they ha- that means that there is just no relationship with God. That's the problem. There's just no relationship there. It's just repeated ritual because that's what, uh, come on, that's just what we do. And it's funny how these things just kind of creep into our lives sometimes. You know, like when it comes to the issue of saying grace, for example, like you might find like a lot of people will say grace. By the way, no one says grace over breakfast. I mean, if you do, you are the most spiritual person that I've never met, right? Well, maybe I know you, I'm not sure. But anyway, no one says grace over breakfast. We just get the food and eat it, right? Who says grace over lunch? Maybe occasionally, right? Grace over a snack? I highly doubt it. Grace at dinner? Every time, every time, grace at dinner, right? And, and, and here's the crazy thing. You tell me how many scriptures we can find about having grace and there's hardly any, but we make sure that we do it every single time. And if someone has a bite of that food before they've said their prayers, it's like the most religious people at the table are the ones that are actually offended. This is the crazy thing. We care very much about grace, but it doesn't say much in the scriptures about that. What about forgiveness? Let's try that forgiveness on for size for just a moment, right? I could take you in the scriptures and we could go and find where it says a lot of things about forgiveness. And this is where it gets weird. We have people that will sit down for dinner and say grace and tick the box and they feel like they've done the right right thing, but there's all this unforgiveness in their heart towards people in their life. Now, the Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Go sort out your issues. In fact, when it comes to giving at church, it says, before you even bring your gift to the altar, right? Why don't you go and make your relationship right? So, you know, dinner's close to sundown. So maybe before you sit down to have your meal before the sun goes down, you should go and forgive someone. But we have people that sit down, say grace with unforgiveness in their heart, and they feel spiritual because they tick the box. And this is where we start to go wrong, everybody. I'm telling you right now, oh, I am going to preach this today, right? I am telling you right now, you can eat as much fish as you like on Good Friday. It will not save you in the time to come. I know you like to eat fish on Good Friday, but I honestly don't know where you get it from, right? Because it's not a biblical thing. But if you like to do it, I'm not saying it's wrong. Just put it where it belongs. Just imagine where it should sit. It's not, is, is it just a ritual? Is, is there a real connection to it? Do you even understand why you have fish at, at Easter time on, on Good Friday? Here's another shock. We're just going to go to another level altogether. How about this? Going to church biannually. Christmas and Easter does not infer in any way that you and God are okay. It does not infer that just because you went at Christmas and Easter that you have any relationship with God. Now, here's the thing. Again, I don't want to discourage you from going to church at Christmas and Easter. It could be that you have a genuine connection with God in a service and you discover that that ritual that you've been going through for years where you have to go and do midnight whatever, midnight mass and all the rest of it, that God actually is real and He actually wants to know you. And so I would see value being in it. 
But let's not mistake going twice a year as being the same thing as having a connection with God. It could just be the ritual. Ritual is what you do because, well, you just because you do it. And it makes grandma happy. And if she's happy, everyone's happy. Or grandpa happy, or your mum, or your dad. You're just doing things to please your family. Hey, there's someone else that you should be pleasing. It's not just going through the processes. There's this story about a young girl and her mum was teaching her how to cook. And so she was teaching her how to cook a roast dinner and she put the roast on the bench and she's getting ready to put it in the oven. And right before she puts it in, she cuts the two ends off the, off the roast, you know? And her daughter says to her, what you, what'd you cut the ends off? She goes, well, that's what you do. Says, but you're throwing away good meat. That just looks like we could eat it. And her mom says, oh no, you cut the ends off. And she says, why do we do that? And the mom says, well, I don't know, we should, let's ask your grandmother. So they go to the young girl's grandmother and they say, hey, we're just wondering, do you, you, why do we cut the end off the roasts and, and, and throw them away? And the child's grandmother says, well, it's just what you do. That's how you cook a roast. You cut the ends off and you put it into the oven. It's how you prepare the meat. And then they say, but that doesn't really make sense. It feels like we're just throwing away good meat. Why do you do it? And she says, I don't know. That's just what I was taught. Let's go ask your great-grandmother. So they go and see the great-grandmother and they say, hey, we've been cooking roasts for years and we keep chopping the ends of the roasts off and throwing them away and we're just wondering why we do this. And the grandmother says, oh, I know why you do that. Because when you were young and while I was teaching you how to cook, we had a small oven. And when we bought a roast, we weren't actually able to fit it in the oven. So in order to fit the roast in, I just chopped the ends off the roast and we put it into the oven so it could fit. And, th and then they suddenly realized that it was because of the size of the oven and nothing to do with the preparation of the food itself. In fact, these poor suckers have been throwing away meat for years, good meat that they could have eaten, right? Sorry to all the vegans and vegetarians, but great meat that they could eat, right? Why? Because of ritual. They didn't even understand the whole point behind it. They could have been putting that whole thing in the oven, right? But that's the power of ritual. It just gets people in a pattern of thought and they don't understand why they're doing stuff and they just repeat it with no understanding. And th that's not a good place to be. In fact, the things that I'm talking about today, this is so important because I think there's a lot of people that have a ritual with God, but they do not have a relationship with God. Now they made a series about this on TV. I don't know if you've seen the series and probably mostly a lot of you haven't seen this series, but they made a, a movie about the point that I'm making or a series about the point that I'm making. And it's actually called The Walking Dead. Okay, I don't know if you've seen it. It's a show, it's a series, and it's all about zombies. And I think everyone, you know what a zombie is, right? It's something that looks alive on the outside. It's like it's moving, but it's actually completely dead. There's no life in it. It's just moving around, right? Now, if you think... You've crossed the line, Pastor Ben. That's a little bit harsh, right? Well, wait a minute. Let's remember what Jesus said to the Pharisees. You know, there was this moment where Jesus turned to the Pharisees and he said, you whitewashed tombs. And that is pretty much as close as you can get to swearing without crossing the line. That language is so strong and he uses that very specific language to communicate to the Pharisees how offensive they really are. 
See, these whitewashed tombs that he talks about, they looked beautiful on the outside. They were nice and they looked great. The, the only thing is, all a tomb does is house dead bodies and dead bones. And what he was really saying to them is, on the outside, you look beautiful. But on the inside, you're dead. Your relationship with God, dead. And the only reason you think that you've got it together is because of all the rituals and the practices that you're going through. But on the inside, there's really nothing going on in there. It's not just something that Jesus said to the Pharisees. The church was just as guilty of doing this. In fact, John wrote in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verse 15, he writes, being inspired by God, writes this scripture to a church in Laodicea. Everyone knows John 3.15, God so loved the world, right? You might know that scripture. Do you know Revelation 3.15? Listen to what it says. He says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I'll spit you out of my mouth. Now listen to this. There are two perceptions that are happening here. One is God's and one is theirs. He says, you say, I am rich, I've prospered, I need nothing. But you have a perception issue because you think that everything's okay because the outside's looking good. John follows it up and he says, not realising that you are wretched, pitiful, you are poor. Now it's interesting that he says poor because they thought that they were rich. How can they be rich and poor? It's a spiritual thing. He says, you are spiritually poor, you are spiritually blind, and you are naked. When we see naked in this way, it means that you should be full of shame and guilt, right? But you have none of that because you have a perception issue. Because on the outside, everything looks good. You're probably still going to church and you're going along and everything's great. But the entire church has this problem where they are dead on the inside and they don't even realise it. They don't know it. Now, this is very important. Religion can hide your dead relationship from God, right? Religion can hide your dead relationship with God. But this is where it starts to get really scary. It can even hide your dead relationship with God from you. You don't know. And, and it's a perception issue. And the reason that you don't know is because maybe on the outside, you're just maintaining appearances and everything looks good on the outside. But on the inside, there is another issue altogether. And here's why everything that I've said today is so crazy. It's so crazy because no one needs to have this kind of experience with God. No one needs to be stuck in this place. And the reason why is because God has invited everyone into a real relationship with Him. You don't have to have religion. You don't have to have it. It's a choice that you're making. And God has put out this incredible invitation. And the invitation is so obvious that hopefully most of us would see it. You would know where it is every time you write the date. Because when you write the date and the year is 2020, we know that that is 2020 years since the birth of Christ. In fact, history divides on the Gospel. History divides on the coming of Jesus Christ. 
And every time we write the date, we remember, hey, it's been this long since Christ came. And when Jesus came, what did He do? But He died on the cross to set people free from the sin that was in their life. And if you say, oh, I don't know what sin is, right? It's all of the bad stuff that you've done with your life, all of the negativity, all of the wrong things that you've done. In fact, sin could be divided into two categories. Sometimes it's the wrong stuff that you do. Sometimes it's the right stuff that you're not doing. And, and God comes and He says, you know what? I want to forgive you for all of this. And I'm putting out an invitation. And that invitation came at the cost of Jesus's life. He has made it possible for everyone to have a very, very real connection, a very genuine relationship with God. Charles Spurgeon said this, formal worship, which is not attended with the heart, which is not the worship of the Spirit, can never be acceptable with the Most High. You want to know who loves God? Don't watch the way they work because that could just be ritual. That could just be works-based. You should watch the way they worship. Don't watch the way they work. Might be ritual. Just watch the way that they worship. Worship is adoration towards God. Significant of a very genuine and, and, and very real connection with God. And that's, that's what religion was supposed to mean in the first place. Worship means the expression of reverence and, and love for God. And here's what's amazing is how quickly religion creeps into our lives. So for example, you could be serving in your church right now, but actually you're doing it with a religious heart because you don't really want anything to do with serving. You don't want anything to even do with God. You're just showing up and, and going through the motions, you know. And I promise you this, your, your volunteer team is so glad that you showed up because they, they probably need the help. But the, the truth is, is that something very real and significant is happening and you are disconnecting from God. And I, I got to tell you, that's not the way it's supposed to be. You could be going along to church services and sitting in the service and slipping into ritual. We just come every Sunday, makes grandma happy. Just come every week, as long as my wife is happy. Happy wife, happy life, come on, you know. I go with her because it makes her happy, but, but really there's no connection there with God. But I tell you, God desperately wants a connection with you. You could be going to small group, you know, and, and small group is there and, and right before small group, everything in you is going, don't go, I can't be bothered, don't want to do it, right? And, and, and you're like, fine, I'll, you know. What's happening there? Is that there is a disconnection with your heart to what's really going on spiritually. And I'm telling you, this is not the life that God has for you, even when it comes to giving. I mean, for me, I, I, I give to church on a regular basis. It's a completely biblical thing to do. So we give to church out of thanksgiving and, and the gratitude of our hearts towards God, right? So your giving could become something like an expression of worship or your giving could simply be ritual. I did it. I ticked the box. Happy now, God. And, and that is not the way that God wants you to do worship with Him either. And I believe that a relationship is present when I see it because worship looks like something. It does. Worship looks passionate. Worship looks consistent. Worship looks like I'm happy to sacrifice. Worship looks like I, I, I just love God and I, I love church and I want to read the Scriptures and I want to know Him more and I want to pray to Him. And that's, that's really 
what it's supposed to look like. Worship has an expression and it's so clearly evident to see sometimes when, when, when people are genuinely doing it and when they're just doing it because they feel like they have to. And I just wanna ask you a question really quickly today as I, as I bring this message to a close. Has your passion gone? Have you ever even you know, had, had passion? Is everything that you're doing right now just a, a ritual to please somebody else in your life? Or is there a, a genuine desire to want to know God and, and have a connection with Him? And look, maybe you've been guilty of doing some of the things that I've spoken about, but I, I don't want you to feel guilty. That's not the point of this message. The point is to make it obvious so that you change the way that you're living and you say, I don't want that anymore. Because let me explain something to you. When it comes to worship, it's all about the heart. When it comes to God and connecting with Him, it's all about the heart. When it comes to giving, it's all about the heart. When it comes to serving, it's all about the heart. Everything about this faith with God, it all flows from your heart. It comes from this place. It doesn't need to be religious. Please don't make it religious. Connect with God again today. Say, I really want to know this God. I want to walk this life out. I want to hear His voice. And if you're not used to going to church, you probably think, what? Hear the voice of God? Absolutely. That's not unusual when you're a person that follows God. And so I'm saying to you that you have before you today, right now, an opportunity to have the real thing instead of that cheap substitute that's become known as religion. And I would love to pray for anyone that says, that's what I want. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna pray one prayer today. And if you've never given your life to Jesus and you say that today, you want to genuinely know Him and really walk with Him, then you just repeat this prayer after me and it will be the beginning of a relationship with God that grows over time. If that's you, just repeat after me. Let's, let's say this prayer together. Dear Jesus, thank You that You love me, that You died on the cross for my sins. I receive You today as my Lord and Saviour. And I choose to follow you every day for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for listening to the Bright Weekly Podcast. We hope you're encouraged today and we'd love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to brightchurch.com.